Hey guys, this is Cabane. So it's been a little while since I have made a pre-recorded video, though I have uploaded some very extended um, live streams. Uh, so the first thing I want to say is that the next live stream is going to be this Monday evening, probably around 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, the second thing I want to say is that tomorrow on Orthodox Shahada, and by tomorrow I mean November the 6th, at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'm going to be discussing the divinity of Jesus with Dr. Bob Branson and with Father Stephen DeYoung. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and <clears throat> uh, the reason I haven't made uh, any pre-recorded videos since the 12th of October is, uh, well, there's several. Uh, first, um, as I've discussed in the live streams, we found this stray dog and we were spending a lot of time looking for the owners. And then we decided to take the dog um, in. So you might be able to hear him now. That's not something I can really control. He's a Frenchie, so they're very talkative. Um, so I actually probably will make a video at some point soon about the theology of animals just because it's on my mind. So uh, getting that uh, squared away, which is still in process and I appreciate your prayers, uh, definitely took some time and energy. Uh, then I got sick. Um, I don't know exactly what it was. Um, it may have been COVID. Um, I was very, very tired. And uh, I'm still, I was just starting to get sick my last live stream. Um, and uh, I am improving, but I still um, am quite low on energy, and I would really appreciate your prayers um, for energy because uh, this YouTube business um, is, you know, my full is is something I do full time now, and that includes a lot more than just uploading the videos. There's a lot of stuff that kind of revolves around that, um, and I want to honor kind of my unspoken to spoken contract with you guys, especially um, those who have very graciously chosen to be patrons. So uh, on a related note, um, if you enjoy this content and you are not yet a patron, uh, please consider becoming a patron. Um, it really is essential to continuing to produce content. And uh, while I feel bad about not producing as much pre-recorded stuff over the past uh, few weeks as I want to, I don't feel that bad because actually the amount of content, if you just count it in terms of hours, um, is basically the same and perhaps even a little bit higher because of the length of the live streams. But I do feel bad. Um, so... I want to continue uh, to produce that and uh, uh, get back to producing it on a more regular basis. Um, so uh, the top tier of Patreon uh, guarantees you um, an hour of one-on-one -on -one discussion about anything you'd like um, once a month uh, if you contact me within the first week. So please consider becoming a patron. It really is so appreciated and um, essential for um, what I'm trying to do on this channel. <coughs> So in the last few live streams, um, I've asked whether you guys would be interested in this sort of content, um, and the response was very positive. Um, so uh, if you are really against this sort of content, if you're just totally disinterested in it, let me know in the comments and I can kind of reevaluate, but actually nobody said that they were disinterested. Um, so I wanted to just give it a shot in this video. So as you can tell from the video title, uh, this is on some of the major um, thematic beats in uh, Star Wars. And by Star Wars, I mean that which is produced by George Lucas. Um, and by produced, I mean those things which uh, were written and developed under his oversight. So uh, this is especially the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy, which are both awesome. And if you disagree, um, you're wrong. And I hope to explain why I think um, you're objectively um, wrong in this video. 
you know, it's not wrong to um, not enjoy something, but it is a mistake to say there's no artistic value in um, uh, these, these films. And these films are really much more than just kind of, you know, action, adventure, sci-fi. I have nothing against that, but uh, these films are really something actually quite unique, I think, in the history um, of cinema. Um, and I place the intent of George Lucas so high on the kind of hierarchy of what constitutes, quote-unquote, genuine Star Wars, because as a number of people have pointed out, especially in recent years, um, the two Star Wars trilogies and the Clone Wars TV show are really quite unique in the history of cinema in that these are very, very high-budget films, which represent, nevertheless, not the vision of a corporation, uh, not the vision of a collection of um, story writers whose main motivation is profit, but the artistic vision of a single person. And you do see these kinds of films. Um, I, I enjoy Christopher Nolan's films a great deal, um, but it's not... Uh, typical to see this unity of intent stretch across six films which tell one story and which tell it with such a high budget. And to really evaluate what's going on in the Star Wars movies, you have to ask the question, what is the story that George Lucas is trying to tell? And does he succeed in telling that story? So in this video, I don't know if this will be a series, maybe it will be, maybe it won't, um, uh, in this video, I want to talk a little bit about um, how we get uh, an interpretation of a work of art like films. And George Lucas has thought a great deal about cinema as a medium. Um, so if you've watched interviews uh, with him, he's very emphatic that cinema is its own medium. It's not just a play which is recorded. Um, it's not a novel, which is put on screen. There are things that you can do in this particular art form, which are unique to cinema. And George Lucas is very talented at utilizing and pushing the boundaries of what you can do in this particular art form. Uh, this is a Christian channel, obviously. And I want to tease out some of the themes in these films, which I think are deeply resonant with Christianity. Um, in order to do that, I want to comment, hopefully briefly, on how exactly do you get Christian themes in works of art by non-Christians. Now, George Lucas is not a Christian, not in any traditional sense. He has a great deal of reverence and respect for the archetypes which are summed up and exemplified in the Christian tradition, but he himself is not a Christian. Uh, some of the resonances are undoubtedly intentional. Others may not be directly intentional. Let me give you an example from um, uh, another set of stories, um, which I don't think is intended, but which is nevertheless genuine. You know, in Walking Dead, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen season eight, um, skip, uh, I don't know, the next few minutes or whatever. Um, in The Walking Dead, um, Carl's death in season eight is the narrative turning point and it's the uh, medium by which you have peace 
made between these two warring communities. Now, this is quite strikingly a figure of Christ. Um, in the world missions movement, you have the idea that every culture has a, uh, an image of the self-giving of Christ, and one of the images which is most prevalent is that of uh, the son who is given up to make peace between two opposed communities. You see this in the New Testament in the reconciliation, not just of man to God, but also of man to man in the giving of the only begotten son. Well, in The Walking Dead, you have Carl, who is the son, who uh, uh, offers to die freely. He says this when he's talking to Negan. Uh, and the reason that he was bit is because he was extending his hand to bring someone from outside of their community, outside of the walls, into the community. And this is the act which motivates Rick to uh, 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 not seek total destruction, but to actually tie together these previously warring communities. Now, did the writers of the show do this to imitate Christ. To my knowledge, there's no evidence of that whatsoever. However, human creativity exists as an energy drawn from the person of the Logos. We're all created after the image of the Logos, after all. Whether or not we believe there is any such person as the Logos, we are created objectively in his image. And the Logos as he in whom God thinks all of his thoughts and rules all of his kingdoms, uh, as the one through whom God created and rules the world, uh, the Logos is the wellspring of all creativity. I think this explains various curious phenomena in the history of literature. There, 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 do seem, there does seem to be a phenomena where certain literary motifs will actually anticipate um, events which take place in the near future. Some examples are quite striking. The uh, uh, novel uh, about the sinking of the cruise liner, the Titan, which was released several decades before the actual sinking of the Titanic, is incredibly striking in terms of its similarities. How does this happen? Well, I think when a person is engaging in these acts of creativity, they are reaching into the wellspring from which that creativity emerges, and that wellspring is the very person through whom God draws the present into the future and realizes the future as the implication and unfolding of the present. Uh, and because the Logos is Jesus Christ, because that's simply the way that the world is, when we have stories that are being produced, we have those stories produced um, uh, in ways which will invariably echo the, uh, uh, the work of Christ. You might hear my dog chewing his bone. There's really nothing I can do about that right now. Um, uh, but I am sorry if it's, if, if it's distracting. Um, so that's why I think you have Christ figures in literature and in stories. Um, George R. R. Martin, and whatever you think of the stories he's produced, uh, we might talk about that another time, uh, he's very gifted at telling stories and at constructing a coherent, complicated uh, narrative. Uh, he describes two different kinds of authorship. The one uh, realizes the narrative goals of the author um, like a blueprint, where you have the 
archetype of the story you want to tell, and then you systematically work towards realizing that archetype in the story that you're telling. The other is that of a gardener who plants various narrative seeds and kind of sees how they develop, guides their development, but there is a independence to the development of the seed towards the fully realized garden. And it's quite interesting to me that he uses those images because the New Testament uses the very same complementary image to describe the church. Uh, the archetype of the world is the person of the Logos. The church is the instrument in which all things are gathered together into the Logos. And the church is described both as a household, which has this eternal archetype, this eternal blueprint, this plan, like the plan of a house, which is realized in the incarnate word. And it describes uh, the uh, realization of the church as a um as a garden. You see this imagery in uh, 1 Corinthians, for example. Uh, uh, Paul and the other apostles, they plant and they water, God gives the growth. And I think the um, convergence of these two images um, are, is really quite appropriate because since that's the basis of the world's actual working, an author who th thinks carefully about his craft will naturally reach for analogies which have a certain likeness to um, uh, to uh, the Christian story properly uh, interpreted. Um, but God realizes the blueprint of the world, but he realizes it in such a way that leaves an openness for uh, creative direction on the part of the human family. So in the world to come, we won't be choosing between good and evil. Our wills will be fixed in goodness because our eyes will be fixed on the person of Christ who is goodness, um, but we will be choosing among various goods because God is genuinely infinite and he's infinitely self-contemplative. The Logos has infinite depth to him and thus we will be entering more and more deeply into the person of the Logos and choosing among various goods and thus having uh, and exercising a genuine creative freedom in the midst of an absolute correspondence to the eternal creative will of God. And that's how these two images, I, I think, uh, converge. Um, so I say all that in order to just make the point that I am not here making the argument that in every likeness to the Christian story that is being pointed to here, that that was George Lucas's direct intention, though he is very well versed in the language of traditional myth and the language of Christian tradition as he learns it through him. This is quite well known. It's hard. I'm hardly um, telling you anything particularly insightful or original in pointing this out, but it's mediated through Joseph Campbell, who had a great deal of influence um, on him. So I think one of the central threads, if not the central thread in Star Wars, by which I mean to reiterate the two Lucas trilogies, um, the Disney trilogies, I won't comment on much, except to say that, to be honest, I rewatched The Last Jedi recently, and I think The Last Jedi is the best of the three, even though I didn't particularly like it. I think it's the best of the three, um, which I think is George Lucas's opinion as well. But perhaps the central narrative thread here in these two trilogies is love as the means by which immortality is acquired. Um, and I want to read a passage from the Revenge of the Sith novelization by Matthew Stover, which is an amazing book. Um, it, it deserves a lot more credit than it gets as a film novelization because I think it really is an excellent work of literature in its own right. And 
seriously, if you read the book, you'll see what I mean. Um, I love all the prequels, but this uh, it provides an even deeper vision of the narrative arc of Revenge of the Sith. Um, uh, as, as you know, if you've seen the films, uh, Revenge of the Sith ends with Yoda telling Obi-Wan that Qui-Gon Jinn has returned from the netherworld of the Force and can teach how to join your personal consciousness to the Force in such a way that you will acquire immortality. And it's quite interesting in the overarching narrative of Star Wars because there's a lot of time in the fictional universe, but the Jedi and the Sith both learn a respective path to immortality at the same time. That is the temptation with which Palpatine tempts Anakin, tells him that his master Darth Plagueis taught him the way to uh, have mastery over life, the way to immortality. And at the very same time in the uh, narrative world of this universe, you have Qui-Gon Jinn, who learns how to retain one's personality and consciousness uh, in the Force after death, and so not be absorbed into an undifferentiated monad. And this is very interesting for a number of reasons. So I think the big question that we should um, we should be asking as we assess any prequel is whether it authentically deepens the narrative of the original to which it is providing a um, a background a prequel and I think the prequel trilogy does this incredibly well here's an example um, think of the climactic scene I think in, of all the films of the whole story is when Vader is trying to convince Luke to turn to the dark side. And what does he say? He says, give yourself to the dark side. It is the only way you can save your friends. Your feelings for them are strong, especially for sister. So you have a twin sister. Obi-Wan was wise to hide him, hide her from me. Uh, now his failure is complete. If you will not turn to the dark side, then perhaps she will. You see here that Vader is using precisely the same strategy that Palpatine used to seduce him to the dark side. Palpatine took this instinct to protect that which was beloved, and he twisted it into evil so that Anakin uh, ended up being the catalyst for his beloved's destruction. And we see in these narrative beats both the error of the Jedi and the error of the Sith. Because think of what happens earlier in Return of the Jedi. Think of the conversation Luke has with Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan says, bury your feelings deep down, Luke. They do you credit, but they could be made to serve the Emperor. But in the end, what is it that brings Vader back to the light? And he is the Jedi who returns in Return of the Jedi. It is Vader's personal love and connection for his son. And that is realized through and only through Luke's personal love and connection with him. In fact, I think that this goes to show why it was wise to not tell Luke that Vader was his father. In telling Luke the story of Anakin as a good man, it allowed him to develop an awareness of his father's genuine goodness, which was then thrown into shock after discovering that he had become Vader, but if he had just demonized his father from the very beginning, he never would have worked so hard to redeem his father. Uh, and we see 
that what brings the narrative to its conclusion is not just love in the abstract. It is rather love as it is focused on a particular person. And this is the key. Because in the prequels, some people take the Jedi Order in the prequels as the um, uh, uh, unambiguous good guy. And they will misinterpret what Lucas is doing here if they do it. Because the point is that it is in part the fault of the Jedi that Anakin falls to the dark side. And that is why in episode one, Qui-Gon is uh, not an ordinary Jedi Master. He is heterodox. He disagrees with the rulings of the Jedi Council. He hasn't been given a seat on the Jedi Council because of those disagreements. He is prone to speaking of the living force and the will of the force as something which is distinct from the will of the Jedi Council or the will of the Republic. Dave Filoni has a great um, uh, discussion on the prequel trilogy that you'll find if you just look up Dave Filoni prequels on YouTube. Um, and it is Qui-Gon who discovers the path to immortality. Um, uh, so, uh, let me just read this passage uh, from uh, The Revenge of the Novelization. Um, An infinite mystery is the Force. Yoda lifted his head and turned his gaze out into the Wheel of Stars. Much to learn there still is, and you will have time to learn it. Infinite knowledge, Yoda shook his head. Infinite time does that require. With my help, you can learn to join with the Force, yet retain consciousness. You can join your light to it forever, perhaps in time, even your physical self. Yoda did not move. Eternal life. And here's the key passage from Qui-Gon. The ultimate goal of the Sith, yet they can never achieve it. It comes only by the release of self, not the exaltation of self. It comes through compassion, not greed. Love is the answer to the darkness. And that is the theme which ties together the arc of both the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy. Some people have said that the Revenge of the Sith trailer like, spoils the whole movie. And it's totally not true, because the Revenge of the Sith trailer leaves out the unifying principle of that film, which is that Anakin was seduced to the dark side through his connection to his wife. And he never learned how to integrate that connection into the light because the Jedi were so terrified of any kind of personal attachment. That is why I think the Jedi in their orthodox form uh, were not the ones to learn how to retain one's personality and distinct selfhood in unto eternity. It was a heterodox member of the Order who had to teach them that. The Jedi do not see the value in these rather odd, distinct living beings, as Qui-Gon does in Episode 1. Uh, there's a great uh, a video on YouTube, um, Why It's Time to Start Appreciating Jar Jar Banks. And, you know, I'm annoyed. I'm, I'm, I, I find him an annoying character, but um, that's part of the point, actually. Uh, when Qui-Gon keeps taking in these uh, living beings... Obi-Wan doesn't get it. He said, "Why do I?" Th and he says about Anakin, "Why do I feel like we've picked up another pathetic life form?" That's a point Dave Filoni um, makes. Um, Obi-Wan's the one who doesn't get it. Qui-Gon gets it. Qui-Gon sees the value not just in a uh, kind of life in this undifferentiated way, 
but sees the infinite value that exists in the distinct distinctness of every self. And because he understands the force in this way, he discovers how to preserve his selfhood unto eternity and is thus the means through which the other Jedi uh, can uh, acquire that knowledge. Uh, and in the end, Yoda says fear is the path to the dark side, but they were terrified of personal attachment. That is why they created the conditions for Anakin's fall to the dark side. It is not attachment which in itself leads to the dark side. It is the direction in which one... Sorry, my Alexa just turned on. I thought I said something like it's um, wake word. Um, they were afraid of attachment. Uh, and that is why Anakin never learned how to handle attachment and direct it towards good ends. There's a great passage in the Darth Plagueis novel where uh, Anakin has just become Obi-Wan's apprentice and Palpatine brings up the issue of his mother. And Anakin uh, shows that he's actually been forbidden to talk about it. So he has no idea how to handle it because he's been forbidden uh, to talk about it. Uh, when Anakin goes to Yoda and, and expresses his fear for those he loves, Yoda basically says, well, shut up and forget about it, kid. Oh, death isn't so bad. They, they turn into the Force. Um, and so he has no idea how to actually integrate these attachments, these human qualities, these goodnesses, into an overarching vision of the good. So that is why Anakin made the choice to turn to the dark side, but it was the flaws of the Jedi Order as they existed in his day which created the conditions for his turn to the dark side. But his redemption comes about through the love that he has for his son. Look at the parallels between uh, Anakin's turn in Revenge of the Sith and his redemption in Return of the Jedi. Uh, Palpatine is playing the part of some victim whom Anakin has to save. He's uh, getting burned by his own force lightning as Mace Windu brings down his lightsaber on him. He claims to be too weak and he says, I have the power to save the one you love. Now, he's lying here. I've always thought it was kind of funny that immediately after Anakin uh, turns to the dark side to uh, save Padme and, and Palpatine says, uh, I'm sure we can figure this out together. <laughs> together. Um, he's kind of being gypped here. Um, but the position of Luke echoes the position of Palpatine in Revenge of the Sith. Luke is on the floor being scorched by force lightning, asking Vader slash Anakin to help him. And here Vader sees that he actually can save someone he loves. And that is what brings him back to the light and fulfills the narrative thread of all six films. The very thing which was twisted into service to the dark side was ordered correctly towards devotion to the light. And you see the flaws of the original Jedi Order in the fact that Yoda and Obi-Wan thought that this was totally impossible. They had no hope whatsoever for Anakin's return. I mean, Obi-Wan does not try very hard in Revenge of the Sith to bring his apprentice back. Basically, it's uh, assumed that once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. But part of the point of the sixth film is that that's total garbage. You can be redeemed. And that's something that the Jedi don't see. Luke is the only one who sees it because he has this personal attachment 
to his father, whom he knew was once a good man. Um, so, so that's the narrative arc of all six, six, six films. It's about the embrace of other selves in genuinely directing attachment towards good ends and two competing claims to paths to immortality, the centeredness on self or the embrace of other selves. There's a great uh, a passage in The Revenge of the Sith novelization where uh, Dooku describes the difference between the dark and the light. Um, the dark side of the Force is really a twisted way of channeling the Force. The Force is the energy which unifies all things. In the Plagueis novel, Plagueis describes the mundane world as an echo of that which really exists archetypally in the realm uh, of the Force. And the dark side is the making of oneself the center. That is why you can't really have more than one ruling Sith, uh, because the goal of the Sith is the subjugation of the Force to the will of an individual for whom power is its own end, whereas the light side of the Force is becoming incorporated into these currents of living energy which give structure to the cosmos and allowing oneself to participate in its sustaining uh, work. You know, I used to um, think that uh, in episode one should have had a kind of a teenage Anakin um, where you could all, all already see some of the hints of darkness which would come to dominate his destiny in Revenge of the Sith. And I've realized that I was wrong. And I think Lucas knows better than all of his critics in making Anakin basically a totally innocent kid with not a hint of darkness in him in episode one. Because the point is that evil is not something intrinsic to life as it is. Anakin was good unambiguously in episode one. It was the twisting of that goodness which led to evil. And if we had already seen this darkness in Anakin in episode one, I think we would lose that whole narrative. The same thing, you know, for Luke in the original trilogy. Luke is unambiguously on the side of good, and yet we see him become genuinely tempted to embrace the dark side because his love for others is being twisted towards an end it has no intrinsic connection to. Uh, so that's uh, uh, what I'll have for today. <clears throat> we might talk about uh, these films again some other time. Um, I really recommend that you check out Rick Worley's uh, videos uh, on the prequels. So he says the prequels are better movies than you deserve. I mean, really quite brilliant. And I don't have a deep acquaintance with the cinematic tradition, but he does. And he shows the ways in which Lucas says very complicated things in very short snippets of film by echoing this broader tradition of filmmaking. And obviously I see connections between that and the uh, 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 way intertextuality works in scripture. Uh, so I hope you got something out of today's film. Monday, uh, around 9 to 10 p.m., we will have the next live stream, and uh, I will see you then. <laughs>